Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey folks, Tony Segretto here. You know, since day one, Catholic Health Services has been part of old school. And since we've started letting people know about them, it's changed their lives. You see, Catholic Health Services, while being recognized as one of the top places for stroke rehab in the country, it's also about a group of people who not just excel in what they do, from the doctors to the nurses to the therapist, on and on and on. It's how they do what they do every single day that separates them from the pack. They do it with a passion, unmatched, and the inclusion of family in every step of the process. Trust me when I tell you this. If you want the best unmatched rehab with a special group of skilled, caring people, there is truly only one place, and that one place is Catholic Health Services. And welcome to another edition of After Hours with Defoe and Luby, Jeff DeForest and Mike Luby Lubitz. Happy to have you with us here on Believe. And I would imagine if we suggested to this gentleman, hey, let's run some full. He'd be ready to put on a pair of sneakers and grab a basketball right now. Uh, New York street legend and NBA star, of course, Georgia Tech. Uh, he was uh, just brilliant there as a collegiate player, number two draft pick overall in the NBA. Uh, the great Kenny Anderson, currently the head coach at Fisk University, joins us here on After Hours. Uh, Kenny, how are you? Good to have you on the program. Uh, Jason, great, man. How you doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Uh, we really are, and uh, very interested. Uh, you have this thing coming out on Showtime. Uh, now, I, I want to say I was just watching a, a, a game from uh, Rucker Park that was uh, televised on ESPN the other night, part of this uh, million-dollar team, one-team-takes-all uh, yeah. tournament, and uh, they featured, I guess, uh, one of the regional Science was Rucker Park, and were they using clips of the Showtime program that, that you're a part of, uh, which is uh, New York City Point Gods? It's going to air on uh, Friday on Showtime. Uh, did they incorporate some of those clips into that broadcast? Because uh, they had a big uh, feature item sure. there on uh, Skip to My Lou, Ray for Alston. Yeah, I'm not sure, but Skip to My Lou is from Queens. He, he played in the NBA, played show in, in the in, entertainment lead in the Rucker Park. He was just an awesome point guard. Uh, had a lot of charisma. Uh, ball handling skills was out the window. He was awesome. He was an awesome guard. What was the uh, you know criteria? How, how did you uh, decide uh, who would be included? Because uh, there, there are any number of illustrious names, including one of my all-time yeah. favorites, because uh, he was so instrumental at uh, my alma mater, Syracuse, uh, the diaper dandy himself, Pearl Washington. But uh, what were some of the criteria that were considered uh, to be incorporated in, into this piece on Showtime? I don't know. I don't know the, the criteria, but they just picked the best in New York City. Um, you know, the, the great point guards, Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson, Kenny Smith, Pearl Washington, uh, Stephon Marbury, Rayford Art. They picked, you know, it, was, it, was, it was just awesome. It goes, a, it goes a long list of New York City point guards. Some of the guys didn't even didn't make the, the film or just didn't make it. In life, they just, you know, wanted to play in the playground. And that, that's just life, how, how, how they work. Of those, uh, and uh, obviously you were one of them, but um, who would you say was the best? Uh, I wouldn't say it's tough to pick the best. The best is out, out of the, out of that group. I would say, personally, I would go with Pearl Washington. Mm. He's, he's the New York. He's the guy that I looked up to. I, I, it just, he just was awesome. He had, he had everything in his game. 
handling skills, the, the passing ability, the charisma, just everything. You know, he was just tough. It's a, you know, a, a cathedral there, at Rucker Park. Now, now, is that the central place where everybody, uh, you know, put their skills on display? Because uh, you're from Queens now. Were you shipping from Left Rack City uh, into Harlem there to play at Rucker? Or uh, where were these games taking place uh, all, all over New York? I was, you know, young. I played in each one. Each one. That was done in the Rucker Park. That was many years ago. I'm a, a New Yorker from Queens, but I I had to play every borough. You know, I wanted to play in every borough: Manhattan, Brooklyn, Bronx. You know, I played everywhere to get the reps and, and play against the best players in the city. And I did that. And that's one of the reasons I got the big, you know, big name. Oh, Kenny Anderson is coming from Queens. He also, you know, that's where you got to compete against the best to be the best. What was it like uh, when, when you travel to another borough? Uh, take on, like, you know, the, the Bronx's best player, uh, which uh, could have been, uh, you know, also uh, from uh, your high school, Archbishop Malloy, the great Jim Laranega, uh, now coaching uh, at the University yeah, yeah. of Miami. And he has total recall of all of those days when he was uh, both playing in high school and, and playing uh, in the schoolyards. Yeah, he's way before me, but he's a Malloy grad, so I got love for him also. But um, you just you had to compete and playing in all the boroughs. Awesome guys competed night in and night out. You know, you had to show if you really could play the game of basketball. Period. No doubt about it. And uh, and any list of illustrious uh, NBA and uh, professional superstars would would show up at Rucker uh, for some of these games. Uh, uh, do you think that spirit is still around? Where where street ballers. You know, can uh, go out there and, 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 you know, do the thing for the, for the love of the game, even more so than, uh, you know, it's the claims to fame. It's going to be around in New York regardless, you know, the, the, the entertainment world. But I don't know how many pros are going to be playing in it. But uh, the entertainment at Rucker Park is, is awesome for, for the city. And um, the NBA is remodeled and done, done the basketball court over up there. So it looks really good. And it's good that they, they, they are part of the New York City game because it's huge and it's the way to go if you want to perform, you know, if you want to be the best in New York City. Anyway, once you get that New York swagger in you, it's over. I'm not sure that the Garden with the uh, Knicks playing there are, uh, you know, considered the mecca of basketball anymore, but uh, this was certainly New York City uh, street ball, what was in a class by itself. I mean, uh, did the people from Compton or any other area Chicago. of the country have any claim to, to uh, you know, uh, being of the legendary status of uh, guys uh, like your are discussed here in this uh, Showtime piece, uh, the point gods of New York? Uh, is there any other area in the country that could compete, in your opinion? Uh, L.A. is getting there with the Blue League. It's really exciting. The Blue League is really exciting. A lot of pros, they kind of. Uh, emulated the same format that the Rucker Park is doing, and they're doing great. Uh, Baron Davis is from out west, out in L.A. He's a great point guard, um, and he, I think he was going to play in the Blue League, but, but everybody, I think LeBron James played in the Blue League last week. So it, it builds, it's a build-up, you know, it, it, for, for, for different cities. Uh, but now I think our basketball is down a little bit, New York, because uh, they go to Juco and things like that, and it just 
I'm going to take you in uh, one-on-one with Baron Davis. I saw him on an interview uh, a couple of years ago. He put on like 400 pounds. So, uh, I, I, you know, but he, he still, you know, was brilliant uh, in his day, no doubt about it, especially as a street ball player. Uh, Kenny, it's always a pleasure. I know you have to run very busy uh, helping to uh, promote this Showtime piece, uh, New York City uh, Point Gods. That's going to be on Showtime on Friday night. Uh, hope to catch up with you again real soon, and thanks so much for joining us here on After Hours. All right, Kenny, thanks. Okay, thanks a lot. Kenny Anderson here. It's just funny. That list, when I was growing up, was the list. I, it's funny. Compton would always try to chime in. Chicago try to chime in. But when you would get to New York City, just the point guards alone, it was freaking insane. And then you would get to, like, just see all the other people that came out of New York. Yeah, he's not From the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, no one really could compare to New York. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, uh, Compton, obviously, uh, out in Los Angeles, you have to figure has some pretty good ball players, but uh, there, there was nothing like that culture of New York basketball. And uh, at, at that time, uh, now um, I, I was growing up in New York uh, in an earlier time uh, than Kenny was talking about in the 80s and the 90s. Of course, he, he was the uh, 1991 number two overall pick of the uh, New Jersey Nets. At the time, Kenny Anderson had a real good pro career, yes. uh, no doubt about it. Not not all of these guys did. I, I guess Rafer Alston, who uh, we saw skip to my Lou, uh, he uh, for a long time, I mean, uh, was shut out from the NBA yep. and uh, wasn't taken seriously as a potential NBA player. Then uh, he ended up making his mark right with the Miami Heat, yes sir, as a three point shooter. He came into prominence as a pro, and then got a big fat contract. Did he not after that? Yes. Although. I didn't really uh, do that much uh, with it. Pearl Washington uh, was a terrible pro player. Uh, not, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, his outside shot was so suspect. When yeah. uh, I mean, he was great at driving through the lane there and uh, making those, those uh, whirling dervish type of moves and uh, dishing off uh, to uh, somebody for a dunk uh, when he wasn't scoring a basket himself. But uh, as a pro, his outside shot was a very awkward-looking shot, and, and it wasn't good enough to uh, keep guys off of him and uh, he, he didn't really uh, prosper uh, very much as a pro player. In fact, I uh, was here with the Heat, right? Uh, pro Washington. And as I remember, uh, most of the time, all of the highlights were, were you know, usually lowlights where uh, the ball was going off his knee and uh, in, into the lap of some nun who was sitting in the third <laughs> row as he was dribbling up the court on a two-on-one. <laughs> and all of that luster kind of uh, fell off. And In fact, Ronnie Rostein, a good friend of ours and a good friend of the show, has been on after hours with us and also on our uh, live depot show on South Florida live many, many times. Now a heat basketball analyst was the original Miami heat coach. And, and uh, he started losing his hair uh, during the season <laughs> when Pearl Washington <laughs> was uh, just absolutely crippling any possible growth of the then expansion uh, Miami heat. Ron Strickland, of course, a uh, great career. Uh, it should be very interesting because the uh, New York basketball culture is such that uh, you know, and as I've told you many times, I mean, I was out on Long Island and I started playing ball. I, I really, uh, you know, got into basketball when I was like 15 or 16. So I, oh, I started wow. going to these games at a park uh, nearby and uh, it wasn't uncommon for like Dr. J to show up because uh, he's my age and uh, he was in high school on Long Island at the same time. And you had one basket that had a, a veritable all-star game going on where uh, Dr. J would hold court all night long. And if you lost, you literally were behind like 30 other teams of three. It was mostly three-on-three basketball. 30 other teams of three before you could get back out on the court again. And, and you were going to lose because it was uh, Dr. J and uh, Dick McGuire, the head coach, uh, uh, former head coach of the Knicks, 
uh, a dirty, nasty player. And uh, they were always paired up with this uh, kid named Eddie Malloy, who I always thought went to Archbishop Malloy, but was uh, a rival of uh, Jim Laranega, the head coach at the University of Miami, who uh, probably, I, I don't know, what do you think he remembers more about? This season or uh, his time playing basketball when, when he was uh, obviously a teenager and in these very competitive, uh, ego-driven games that were being played uh, in the parks of New York City. So it uh, should be a fascinating piece. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll hope that it has great success on Showtime. I, I know I'm going to tune in. I don't know. Louis, yes. uh, kind of thing that really interests you. Yes. Uh, I thought they might have been in, uh, intertwining some clips. I, I guess they had clips of uh, Ray Peralston as Skip to my Lou. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he became a phenom at, at like, you know, yeah, 10, 11 one. years old. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, it was in the and one, was like which was a big part of the, of the uh, development. Yeah. yeah, that and one came along and helped uh, a lot of these uh, sort of street balling legends yep. uh, have a platform uh, to perform on uh, that uh, brought them into prominence and actually brought a couple of these guys uh, in, into the NBA. So uh, that, that was interesting stuff. All right. Uh, thanks to Kenny Anderson for uh, joining us here on the show. Kenny, Kenny's a great guy, by the way. Uh, unfortunately. On these media tours, as was the case uh, yesterday with Michael Rappaport, uh, they're telling you seven, eight minutes, and we don't like to obliterate the time limit, no. as uh, some people do, because we've been victimized by that many times, and uh, we like to be able to bring you this caliber of guest. And so uh, we try to abide by uh, the parameters and the guidelines of the interview, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of time to uh, really discuss much. And you could kind of sense that maybe Kenny was doing it. Like, was he in the middle of, like, Doing 20 of these? It feels like it, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of <laughs> felt that way. It wasn't exactly one-on-one uh, -on -one with Bob Costas there. No, no, no. Uh, you know, the opportunity we that we have with Kenny Anderson. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, many, many things happening. Hey, uh, how about this? Uh, the uh, Subway Series, Luby. There you go. Uh, I was mentioning this on our morning show this uh, morning. I get the New York Post delivered to my house every day because I'm still old school in that regard. I like to open up a newspaper. Yeah, mostly while sitting on the throne there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like to have this stuff right in front of me, all, all in one place. Uh, I'm not really, it's not like I'm totally computer illiterate, although close to it, but um, I just like looking through a newspaper and reading the different stories. Eight pages of the tabloids today on the Mets and the Yankees in the Subway Series. Eight pages. Uh, this is the first time, uh, I think, either ever or, or in like a, a zillion years that the Mets and the Yankees have met while both teams are 20 games over 500. And uh, both of them are. Uh, Mets kind of uh, clinging in a tight race in the National League East uh, to a two-game lead over the Atlanta Braves, who lost last night to the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Yankees have been running away with the American League East and, and appear to really have no, no imminent threat as the Boston Red Sox have completely caved and are in the throes of an horrendous slump and, uh, and fielding literally like, uh, I mean, you know how they – they always talk about the fat kid in right field. It looks like they have eight fat kids in right field out there <laughs> defensively for the Red Sox. I, I've never seen anything like it. The, the highlights, major league level, yeah. which again are lowlights uh, of Red Sox fielding. Uh, holy, Carl Yastrzemski, man. Uh, how is it possible to be this bad in the field? Now, uh, is it that the lights are tricky? At uh, Fenway Park, I, they didn't just become possible. that. It's one of the oldest stadiums in America, let alone the world. Like, <laughs> it's guys been the same for a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pop-ups are like dropping in between four guys. Ground balls are being butchered. Uh, you know, e easy routine double play uh, grounders to short are, are uh, you know being thrown away at second base, and runs are scoring. It looks like the old uh, mouse cartoons with the merry-go-round, where where the runs are just you know runners are mamboing around the bases. 
pretty ugly. Uh, I guess the Blue Jays, uh, who were always thought, wow, this is the year that the Blue Jays are going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think they've, they've emerged into second place, but they're 12 and a half back at the Yankees. So uh, big series going on uh, in New York. Now, uh, I grew up as a Yankee fan. Uh, I was born in 1951. Uh, the Yankees were great during that era. Uh, was uh, dominated, of course, by uh, Mantle, Mare, and Barris. Uh, Barris. Mantle, Barra, and Maris. Yes. Uh, hitting three, four, and five. Maris and, uh, what did I say, Barron and Maris? You said Barris. Barris, yeah. <laughs> you combined the two I grades. combined the two there. Thinking oh, a little bit scary. too fast here. Barrera. Oh, after Barrera hours, yeah. And Maris combined. Uh, Jeez. Interesting, too. Uh, you know, we, we uh, really were down on Roger Maris in, in the year that he hit 61. I was a Maris fan. I, I loved the Mick, of course. Everybody did, as evidenced by the fact that his uh, baseball card is about to sell for $10 million, some rookie card that was well-preserved by a guy who bought it at a card show in 1991. For $50,000, the Mick. Why, why do we throw all those cards away? Luby, you saved yours. We were talking about this this yes, morning. Yes. You, you saved yours, but you don't have anything of a classic nature. Not that I know of. I, I mean, I haven't looked at them in a long time, so I probably should. I think I do have a, I might have a Derek with all this captain stuff going on. I think I do yeah. have a Derek Jeter and an Alex yeah, Rodriguez wow. very young. I don't know if the rookies, because oh. what's funny is listening to you talk about how the rookies were a joke, because again, you want established players. When I was growing up, you, the cards had been around long enough where it, it had been made clear you want the player from rookie year. You don't want just some, he's already great, it's his 12th year. You want the rookie card when I was growing up. Now, now I don't know. Now, like, current players that are great already, if you have a certain Luca or a certain LeBron, it's worth thousands of dollars. When I was growing up, it wasn't going to be then. It was in the future, this will be worth a lot, but you want to have the rookie card. I don't like to think about the uh, trading card industry and, and how it blossomed. And, and then it seemed to go away for a while. It was wild. <laughs> yep, now yep. it's even crazier than ever. Yep. Uh, I had a friend uh, whose mother worked for Tops, Ooh, which was producing the baseball move. card. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they were really the number one baseball card producer uh, at, at the time in the 50s and 60s. And I believe that there were at least two seasons where I was gifted the entire set. Now, had I just left that in a box, I'm not even sure what years they were. Had I just left that in a box and never touched them, everything would have been fine. But, uh, you know, always ready to look a gift horse in the mouth and finding a way to screw up virtually anything that could be of financial benefit to me. And, and we knew nothing about this because uh, to us, uh, cards were, were a trading commodity and, and a gambling commodity. And uh, they were actually uh, like a, a, a means of, uh, you know, tra transmitting cash. Right. Because we, we bet with baseball cards. Right. You'd bet a stack of baseball cards on this or that. And, and then, of course, we gambled with them with various games, closies, leaners, uh, topsies. And uh, also that, there was that stupid matching game, which everybody knew how to beat that one where a guy would flip a card. And uh, if it came up, uh, you know, on, on the picture side, then you had to throw a card and have that come up on the picture side. And then you got both cards. But whatever side you had, it's almost like flipping a coin, right? Like if you hold a coin and you're having it on tails, when you flip it, if you just let it land, it's going to land on hits invariably. Correct, Luby? Are yes. you familiar with it that? It feels routine? like it. Yeah, the percentages are more right. head than tails. I believe it's almost, uh, you know, like uh, foolproof. And, and that was the case with the cards. Uh, like if you had to match a, a card where the picture was up, all you had to do was, uh, you know, flip it from the other side. And there was a way to flip it where uh, every time it would land on the opposite side of whatever you were holding up. I, I wish dice worked like that. Wouldn't that be great? 
You know how the guys, uh, you know, are at the craps table and they're lining up dice a certain way and they square them and they blow on them and they have their girlfriend blow on them and then they yeah. uh, tap them on the table and then they finally throw them. Some guys throw them high. Some guys fire them low. Some guys uh, throw them short. Everybody has their routine, but they, they have no control over it, right? People think that they do. Ah, ah he's a great roller. He never misses. <laughs> Soon as you back the guy, right? You're heavy up on a pass line. You take maximum odds five times the odds. A guy rolls a six in the very next roll. Ah, seven out. Look at that. Unfortunate. His run is over. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, and uh, Topsies was a game uh, where you had to, uh, a guy would flip a card against a wall, had to put a couple of cards out there. And then uh, you had to land a card uh, at any corner. It didn't matter. It had to be touching another card that was already on the ground. Okay. And then you got the whole pot. So you'd flip the card against the wall. It would hit the wall. It had to hit the wall on a fly, and uh, then it would bounce off. Now, that wasn't necessarily beneficial for the guy that was trying to preserve these cards in mint condition that you were firing like a Frisbee against the <laughs> schoolyard wall. Uh, leaners, uh, you would set the cards up, and they were leaning against the wall, and then there would be like five of them, and whoever knocked down the last leaner got the whole pot. That, that, was, that was like uh, playing uh, you know, uh, a lotto game. It was unbelievable because uh, you, you might pick up like 40, 50 cards at one shot, which was great. But um, as I recall, I mean, uh, we hated rookie cards. And I, I must have flipped away. I, and I'll never forget because I, I got a ton of these Carl Yastrzemski rookie cards. Oh, jeez. And we couldn't pronounce the guy's name naturally because uh, everybody thought it was Yastrzemski. Yeah. And you were thinking to yourself, who is this fucking Yastrzemski that I have like uh, 50 of his cards? I can't get Mickey Mantle one time in one of these packs. Of course, you enjoyed the stale gum and, uh, you know, you'd buy like five packs for whatever. I think they were five cents a pack and you got six cards. But who would have ever thought, wow, years later that uh, you would A, have a card like that in mint condition and B, that it could be worth as much as ten well, million dollars. Now. I mean, millions. I, I even when I was growing up in cards, I had a shack once that was like you tra you traded it in and my buddy traded it yeah. in and you got back like this really cool one and it was when he was young if it wasn't rookie it was second year with the magic and I I either bought it from my buddy or he gave I don't know what it was but I got it from him and he gave like he gave it to me and then like a dumbass from fourth grade I brought it to school because that's what you do is you would bring your card to school and you would trade you would show them oh, yeah, yeah. you would trade and I remember having it and then like we got into class and then by the end of the day I didn't have it anymore and that was in fourth oh. grade so I never. I got over it, but looking back, through the years, I've kept track of it and never really grew in value, but I wonder, as a kind of card, it was Shaq Young, one of those great players. Like that skinny Shaq has to be worth yeah, a lot. Yeah, it was, it was, no magic it was. Uniform, yeah. So it's like, though, wow. that was one of those cards that I did have that was worth a lot, but I grew up where it was considered, yes, you want to save your cards, but I never thought more than thousands. Like, this idea of millions. Like, you always heard about the Honus Wagner. That was that uh, one yeah. card. But like, one thing is, well, all yeah, these... they made three cards and two of them disappeared. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, every guy's worth millions. They're buried with King Tut. You know, no one will ever <laughs> exactly. find them. Exactly. There's one left in the universe, and the guy hated, uh, you know, he didn't want to be on the card. He had it suspended uh, its production because, uh, you know, it was a tobacco thing and he hated cigarettes or something. <laughs> Un unbelievable, yeah. No, that, that that I could see, you know, if you had like a nap le joy, uh, you know, when they were growing yeah, exactly. up. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> From the, like Cy Young. <laughs> I want to say that I, I, I must have had a mantle card at some point I'm in time. Sure. I have no idea what I did with it. Well, of course. I had to have one Mickey Mantle card. Now, now uh, I was going to say about Roger Maris, this is a weird thing because we talk about it a lot on our various shows, how, how batting average is uh, no longer a reasonable measuring stick. With all the Sabre metrics, you would figure the one most important thing would be batting average. 
that, uh, you know, if you're analyzing a guy's ability to hit and be a productive major leaguer, that batting average would be the number one key. They don't care about it anymore. Uh, a lot of fans despised, and I, I really wasn't that thrilled, even though I was a Roger Maris fan. Uh, the fact he hit 269 in 1961 always bothered me. Until now, where, you know, if he was hitting 269 with 61 homers and he wasn't on any juice, the only juice he was on was the occasional beer he had with the Mick when he was trying to pull Billy Martin out of a bar somewhere while he was rooming with the Mick uh, in that year, in 1961. Um, I mean, 269, was he was reviled for that. Because uh, the Mick always posted pretty good batting averages. Yes. And, uh, he was right there in the race until he got hurt late in the season and missed a bunch of games. Otherwise, he might have... He might have surpassed 60 home runs also, which was the benchmark and I guess now has come back into vogue as still being the benchmark. I mean, you talk about ignoring the steroid era. What is everybody rooting for with Aaron Judge, who has 37 home runs right now? They're they're hoping that he is on a pace where he might be able to eclipse Roger Maris' 61 as a Yankee, which many people still consider to be the official home run record. No one, no one will ever hit in the 70s again. I mean, nah. if Judge only has 37 away, he's hitting the ball right now, and he's uh, been pretty consistently in the lineup. Uh, I don't think he's missed more than a handful of games. Then, uh, wow. I mean, the way he's tattooing the ball, if he can't hit into uh, the 60s even, what kind of farcical number is Barry Bonds with 75? And McGuire, who, uh, you know, smashed through the record of Roger Maris. Sammy Sosa hit over 60 in several different seasons. So uh, if you don't think the juice made a difference, uh, obviously you're, you're looking at a different set of criteria than uh, any rational thinking human being. All right, a lot of fun having Kenny Anderson on the show. That'll be worth checking out. New York City Point Guards, yes, G-O-D-S. Uh, Point Guards coming out of New York. That's on Showtime on Friday night. We thank him for joining us here on the show. Uh, I am uh, going to uh, go ahead and spend the next 24 hours trying to figure it figure out uh, what the next Kevin Durant rumor is going to be. What team will he be going to next? <laughs> I believe the uh, T-Walls are offering Portland. all of their draft picks in Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Exactly. <laughs> Every day, it's another team is giving up its biggest stars and, uh, you know, another, you know, ton of uh, cachet of draft picks for Kevin Durant, and uh, nothing has happened. And then nothing yet. happens. And, that's what's great is, so what do you, like, that's the funny thing is all these guys now, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, all of these yeah. guys. Uh, They've uh, all been mentioning All have to, yeah. like, now go, so what do you think since you're still on your team? Uh, <laughs> that's what's the funny part of it. all these teams are willing to like yeah. let this get out there, and then the trade doesn't happen. So now you have to keep your player happy. Like, how do you? And these aren't schmanks. Like, these are like stars oh. of their team that are integral. That you're Jaylen just hanging Brown, out there. Had a great year last year <laughs> for the Celtics. All of a sudden, he's being traded. I don't know, man. It's and and it's being reported with, with some level of authority yep. as if, uh, you know, th- these uh, were actual transactions that were going to take place. Yep. And, of course, the Nets are rejecting all of them anyway. Yeah. So uh, what, what's, what's the point of discussing it? That, you know, uh, whatever anybody offered, they're going to say, what, are you kidding me? What, what do we look like? <laughs> this is our first rodeo? You're just giving us Steph. We need Clay, Draymond, and and Andrew Wiggins. What do you mean? No, yeah, really? Are you kidding me? Curry for Durant? <laughs> and the Donovan Mitchell thing, as we've been asking people, and uh, we put it to uh, Rappaport yesterday, biggest Nick fan around uh, outside of Spike Lee, maybe. And uh, and you mentioned Woody Allen. I don't know. I'm a little old Would school. it be appropriate to call Woody and ask him what he thought about the uh, possible <laughs> acquisition of Donovan Mitchell or uh, whether or not – the Knicks were more likely to get Joni Mitchell in a Nick uniform, which he just uh, reappeared recently and uh, showed up at some, uh, you know, concert, started singing Joni Mitchell. As nice. we say, too far to the left. Only goes left. 
I mean, uh, they, they would just cut the right side of the uh, basketball court off and challenge her to go that direction. That would be it. <laughs> exactly. Be over. That, that's philosophically more so than uh, you know, physically. I'm All right, so we, we have to run. We're, we're making no sense now. It's After Hours with T-Fall and Luby. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Kenny Anderson. For Mike Luby Lubitz, uh, I'm Jeff DeForest. And uh, no matter what you're doing in life, no matter how crazy it gets, no matter how much sugar, just keep in mind, people, no matter what, stay focused. you got to believe. Play the ponies in style at Champions, the outstanding simulcasting room at beautiful Hylia Park. Yes, the grand old lady of thoroughbred racing has never been more vibrant, and you can wager on the races from the top tracks around the country while enjoying a cocktail at the Brass Rail Bar or any of the fine food served throughout the facility. If poker is your game, you're covered in style, and you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.